Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today is Thursday. This is our deep dive episode. And today we have on Sean Emery. Uh, he is the CIO over at Avery & Co. We've had him on the show a few times. Um, it, first of all, if you're an investor, individual investor, go ahead and check out the Avery & Co. website because uh, it's really informative and there's ton, it's just chock full of good information. And I think his holdings are on there. Am I getting that right? Potentially. I don't know if they do a full disclosure, but they do talk about stuff they own or stuff they're researching all the time. So pretty good information. Okay. And uh, highlights, I guess I should say, we're talking about Duolingo today, which is a really interesting company. It's one we've looked at before on the not so deep dive. Um, any highlights from the interview? Yeah. So this is a great pair with the not so deep dive we did. Uh, he goes through more of the in-depth stuff of why he thinks that they'll grow and have good margins over the long term and why it's a good investment right now. Uh, let's see. We talked about the importance of the English test. I think that was a good highlight for me. Cleared up all the importance of that. Exploring moving into non-language or non-language learning stuff. That was important as well. And then going through the unit economics of why they've been so efficient uh, with their marketing dollars uh, as a percentage of revenue over the last or since they've been founded. Yeah, those are all good points. And I think it's funny how something that seems so, I guess, gimmicky can actually make a good business. Um, it kind of feels a good comp kind of feels like candy crush where it, uh, it can really generate cash at scale. Um, and so just, I guess, listening to him go through it, it's an interesting business to study before we move to the interview though, we want to talk about our sponsor for this week's episode stream by mosaic. They are an expert interview transcript library. Uh, they cover industries from tech, media, consumer goods, industrials, real estate, pretty much anything you want. I bet Duolingo's on there. I'm sure they are. There's a high chance. And uh, they add about 300 expert interviews per week. 70% of those are, 70% of their experts are found exclusively on stream. You get a ton of color, a ton of commentary that you might not get on investor presentations or typical investor relations website. Um, It Sometimes you come across interviews and you're like, wow, I'm glad you almost feel like you have an edge after reading it. Um, It's perfect for people that like scuttlebutt investing. Yes, exactly. Uh, they have 8,500 plus uh, call transcripts available. I'm sure that's higher now because I got a note sheet from a while back. So they're adding 300 a week. I'm sure it's just going to keep getting larger and larger. Uh, if you're interested in signing up for Stream by Mosaic, go to streamrg.com. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.com. Uh, and you can sign up for a 14-day free trial using promo code CCM. Uh, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, today we are welcomed by Sean Emery. He is the founder and chief investment officer of Avery Co. Um, based in Miami. We have had you on the show. I want to say four times now. Wow. I think it's. I think, I think this is the fourth. fourth time. Yep, Capri Holdings. Um, Square away the back first when. one. Square way back in the day when we were less of a professional show, and now we're talking Duolingo. <laughs> That's right. And so That's I cool. guess. I guess. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, can you kind of describe what Duolingo is and then how did you come across it in the first place? Yeah. Um, 
they're a language learning app, right? So it's a, it's a way to learn a language um, predominantly through uh, a mobile app. So it's the number one uh, education app in the app store. It's kind of been that way for quite a long time now. Um, the way we found it is obviously it went public here in July of 2021. Uh, I've known the company for quite some time and they've been one of the uh, unicorns that have sat in the, in the private markets for quite some time. Uh, I think they were born in 2011. Um, so uh, 10 years old and, and now a public company. Uh, we have uh, different categories that we focus on. Structural growth is kind of an area and, and ed tech and, and kind of the uh, revolution happening in education uh, predominantly before COVID, but also accelerated by COVID uh, as technology would continue to move into this space and make things a little bit easier uh, for the average person. One, democratize costs and, and reduce the cost to potentially zero. We see that in things like YouTube and uh, Coursera and some others where it's either cheap or zero and Duolingo is one of the products and, and platforms that we think uh, will continue to succeed. Okay. And I guess our next question was, explaining the business model. But I think before that, maybe a good overview because some people might not understand listening to this kind of what Duolingo's special sauce is. What makes them better and the number one app out there compared to all the, I'm sure there's tons of other options. Yeah, there are, there's a lot of other options. The thing is, is actually there, there, there definitely is a, a big gap between them and, and the others. So Babel and Rosetta Stone. Uh, and then there's a series of other language learning apps. And depending on which region you're in, there's different focuses. Um, now, the, their special sauce is their ability to kind of connect and gamify. Um, I think what they've done really, really well is build out a platform built on content. So they have characters. Uh, Duo is, the, is, the, is their main character, but also uh, below that, they tell stories inside the app that attracts a lot of people in terms of building that connection directly with uh, the characters inside the product. When you go to the other products, they don't really have that. They're much more what we think about education as it relates to um, somewhat boring and uh, something that doesn't motivate you to continue. Uh, and that's been their special sauce, both mentally and then also how they delivered that in the product, which is uh, creating an app which motivates you to come back. So that gamification, as we experience in games, uh, is what they've really, really built. Um, they have tons of data that they've uh, built from the early days that allows them to provide a personalized experience for everyone inside the app. So if you speak, um, if you're trying to learn English or whatever language you're trying to learn, uh, and they know something uh, in, in your learning experience uh, isn't working well uh, based on what you got wrong, but they also have uh, many other users that have come before you, they essentially correlate that data to essentially build up your acumen in that space. So their special sauce is really around their data advantage in addition to the gamification of the app, which brings people back on a, on a a habitual basis. So 9 million users using it daily, 40 million using it monthly. Um, and we're at that early stage of kind of building these, these models around it. Okay. And oh, Ryan, do you have a follow-up on that? I was going to say, are you an MAU? Have you, are you a monthly active user for Duolingo? So I'm a daily active user with my son. Um, and okay. Duolingo is the, is the, is the uh, language learning uh, side of the equation. Um, I do get prompted to continue to learn languages uh, for myself. But for my son, Duolingo ABCs, which is a, a product that they launched in uh, 2020, uh, is also a, it, we're not talking about it, but it's an app that's done incredibly well uh, since its launch. And it's more around learning words and, and, um, and literacy uh, for younger children, uh, kind of in that two to five 
uh, age realm. Um, so daily, our streak, I think is 108 days. Um, uh, my son is three and a half and absolutely loves duo. Uh, he calls it the bird game. Um, and we play it every single day uh, before he goes to bed for literally three minutes. Um, and he sees it yeah. and, and, and it's a totally independent app. Yeah, it's totally independent. It totally okay. focuses on a different realm and it's, it's much more uh, for the for the younger age bracket. So, okay. okay. And I guess, and then a lot of people are probably thinking, okay, this app's free. It's free to download. How does uh, Duolingo actually make money? Can you explain their different, the business models that they have? Yeah. So uh, a freemium model, obviously the first thing you think about is ads. Um, so they started uh, monetizing the app with ads. Um, that is around 15% of total revenue today. Now, I'll go to another side of how they make money, which is the English uh, test, which is a test that uh, Duolingo built out essentially like five years ago um, to allow users to take a online only uh, English test. And it, it's a proficiency test. So it's uh, a lot of people that move to the US or, or, or live internationally tend to have to take an English test um, to prove that they know English, to go to university, um, to work in certain uh, jobs. Um, and what that means is there's two other main uh, companies that focus on this. Think of like the SAT for, for all of us. Um, similar type of DNAs within those companies. Again, going back to boring and, and uh, what we think of, of uh, as it relates to those organizations. But Duolingo's uh, test, uh, their English proficiency test, um, they've been able to uh, build that again pre-COVID. Uh, the, in 2019, they had roughly... Uh, 13,000 tests that they gave out uh, in 2021. Um, they had roughly 300,000 tests taken here. And then um, after that, it was, uh, they expect to grow it by 50%. So 500,000 tests. So you saw this massive surge in adoption. So now there's three large players that are actively in this English proficiency test category. Duolingo is the only one that's online only. It's also the only one um, that is $49, so 50 bucks. So it's the cheapest one, fastest one to take. Uh, and it's also being recognized uh, globally with over 4,000 schools now accepting it, all the top 25 in the US. Um, it's 10% of revenues today. You would have thought potentially that this would have been something that was a flash in the pan just because of everyone shifting to um, online only for a moment in time. However, what we've seen is that uh, sustain here. The importance of that as it relates to the subscription category is that as you take the uh, proficiency test, and a lot of people come to these apps to learn a language and then take a test um, to highlight uh, and prove that they learn, they know English. Um, the reality is, is the Duolingo learning app um, is potentially becoming a gateway to the test. And uh, Luis, the, the CEO, recently spoke about it which is all bigger picture. What he wants is the English test to have a score and it already has a score, but that score to be recognized where I am Duolingo 160 or I'm Duolingo 120. And that, that signifies how good you are at uh, a specific language, but also uh, having that flywheel back into the app where people are in the app and while they're, while they're learning a language, they're basically able to um, have previews of their scores. And ultimately what that is, if you think about how we learn other things and take tests for other categories, um, it's having kind of that preview. This is the score I would have got, the score I would have got, the score I would have got. And I think it's that flywheel. 
So again, they're monetizing the task, but I think it also leads into great usage, greater engagement usage and, and actually more meaningful of why you're on these apps um, in general. So that's kind of the three different components of how they monetize today. Ads, uh, subscriptions, uh, which is a, a monthly thing. And I didn't, I don't, I didn't really explain it uh, in total, but it's a subscription uh, membership that uh, users pay for to remove ads. And then as they've uh, matured over the last several years, uh, it's to add on other things, whether it's a mistake and you get your mistakes back um, and uh, essentially other different uh, uh, product offerings that are inside the app as well. So as they add more value, uh, they're seeing increase in subscriber growth. Uh, they went from kind of 1% three years ago to essentially 5% today. And every year they've incrementally added roughly 1% uh, subscribers. How important is that conversion from free to paid users? And then I guess, is there any way that you think they could maybe strengthen the offering of the subscription? Yeah. Well, so I think the test is a, is a pretty important part of the flywheel of, um, of potentially getting your preview and your score um, inside of that. Uh, I think that's an interesting product that they could offer. Now, the other part of that uh, question is, is uh, how important is just the subscription in general? I think it's important to the business. I think it's also important to uh, building out the product suite. Um, again, how they've highlighted, and I think it makes a lot of sense, is you think of other uh, products that are out there, dating, uh, Spotify, for example, and how many of those free users turn to paid. It's somewhere in that kind of 10, 12, 15, 20. I mean, some are like 30%. Um, subscribers in terms of uh, 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 users to subscribers. I do think that makes some sense in terms of how people are using this um, and the type of users that's using this. Again, not dating versus language, but more so it's something that you you pick up and, um, and, and you're trying to, uh, you have an objective in mind. Um, and today it's five and a half percent. So if they can obviously double their subscribers, but also double the value that people are getting inside the app, and there's other ways of monetizing as well, which is in-app purchases. But subscription is is really big for any other business, right? Like when when you have a, subs a subscription model, uh, you have visibility in the business, uh, which allows you to one take on more risk in terms of product evolution and and marketing spend because you can now market against that a little bit better because you can measure lifetime value uh, of these users um, in a, in better ways and and see how some of the cohorts are coming back. So. Uh, I think all of it's important uh, and subscription is clearly important part of uh, the business going forward. What do you think of the ad business independently? Is that growing on its own um, or is it kind of just a funnel for hopefully subscribers? Yeah, no, it's growing. Um, obviously ads are growing because users are growing. Um, so there's similar like ad loads uh, in a sense, in terms of placement in the app today, they basically have been very light on ads. Um, and the purpose of that is they understand the freemium model, the, the, the product itself and the experience here is more important than, than the ad dollar that they'll collect today. Um, today, I believe they, they only offer or highlight one ad at the end of each lesson. Um, and what that means is there's obviously opportunities to add at the beginning and the end. So you could easily quickly double your ad inventory immediately. Um, it's just, they want to have that continued organic growth of, of, of the business which is really um, that referral type model where, hey, uh, use Duolingo. Um, I don't even remember where I first started using it per se. Um, and I think a function of that is simply that uh, it's gamified and people use it, people talk about it. It's a good experience and they're trying to maintain that experience and then add enough value uh, where they can uh, get you to subscribe. Um, 
So that's like uh, the ads are important way of monetizing and also a, a small push towards the subscription without it being overwhelming. Okay. And we're going to talk financials for Duolingo on the second half, but last more qualitative question. What are your thoughts on management? They're founder led. Um, is the CEO slash founder really important to the thesis here? Yeah, I think it does bring like uh, one expertise and uh, he's obviously the founder and it's, it's not a young company per se. It is young, but uh, it's not three, four years old, like a snowflake or five years old, like a snowflake, but it is 10 years old and it's young enough. Um, but he's executed wonderfully. He's also been uh, pretty uh, um, sensitive to, again, the, the product itself and not overwhelming users. And I think that's been smart. Um, they spent very little money historically on marketing dollars to build to where they are so that they have this natural uh, mission that is resonating with users uh, that is allowing them to just continue to push forward. And 40 million monthly active users is a lot of users for a language learning app. Um, and he was the founder uh, and sold it to Google uh, reCAPTCHA. Um, so he, he has a lot of success behind him, uh, both uh, kind of pre um, Duolingo and then during Duolingo. I think he, again, he, he brings some of the mission to the company of what they're trying to achieve, which is uh, reduce the price of kind of education in general, specifically focused on uh, language today. They're, they're branching out in other categories. We talked about ABCs. Uh, but math and and some other kind of more repetitive uh, categories make a lot of sense for them. So I think he's important. CFO has extensive background. We're going to have him here shortly uh, uh, on a conversation. But the uh, the um, uh, the management team's good. They've executed wonderfully, and it, I think it shows up in in essentially everything they're doing, from users to uh, uh, monetization to um, to pretty much everything. So. Okay. Well, that's all the questions we have for the first half. Uh, we're going to hit, like Brett mentioned, valuation and financials on the second half. But before that, let's take a quick break. Pluralsight, a tech workforce development company, provides the solutions high-performing engineering teams need to tackle today's biggest challenges. Whether it's building the skills individuals and teams need to tackle mission-critical projects, driving cloud transformation, or helping software teams to ship reliable, scalable, and secure code. Harness the collective power of hindsight, foresight, and insight with Pluralsight at pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust, and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us slash opportunities. All right. Welcome back in. Uh, we want to talk valuation. So I, I think it trades at around a sales multiple of 15 times. Could be lower right now because I know growth stocks have been hit, but some are on there, right? Yeah. So yeah, I guess teens, let's say. Um, so what sort of growth are you expecting um, in order to get uh, a good return on this? And then what also... What kind of margins do you think Duolingo could have at scale? Yeah. Um, so the so, so the multiple. I, th I think one thing to 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 remember is that there's revenue and there's bookings, um, and bookings are roughly like two hundred million or three hundred million dollars this year um, that uh, they will have, and then bookings will eventually turn to revenue because um, those are mostly the subscribers and things like that. So uh, there's like a thirty percent kind of gap between those two. Um, so it's pretty important. So 12 is nine and and kind of right. like a nine bookings multiple. Uh, but again, that doesn't show up in things like uh, Bloomberg or Yahoo Finance or any other outlet uh, 
it's not a gap number. So uh, that's part of the issue in terms of that. So it trades a little bit cheaper than um, uh, many of those metrics. Uh, the kind of stable state or normalized margins, um, again, we, we, we like to hover around like a 20% as we think about it, right? So you have like the match group, which again, if we're, if we're using comparables here, uh, you have 35% margins on, the, on that overall business. Similar type of dynamics that happen in that marketplace is essentially get someone to a finish point and then in theory, they, 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 they get off. I mean, the whole goal is to get someone to learn a language and then move to, and then essentially move off unless they want to learn two, three languages, which are some of their users. Um, similar to dating apps where you bring them on um, and once they're on, they, in theory, potentially find uh, somebody, their significant other, and, and uh, maybe it's two or three uh, languages and, and they move off. Um, so when we think about it, that's how we're thinking about the margin structure. Obviously, that's probably closer to the high end, just given that they have so many apps um, and so many users across all those apps. Um, and somewhere in between that, we think is kind of where they can level off. They're also in a really strong position uh, from a competitive standpoint. Um, there's different types of, uh, of product offerings that we think are, are allow them to extend at a pretty marginal cost. Again, adding new products where a lot of the technology and engineering um, is, is in place. Um, again, we've asked uh, about if when you launch math, what kind of uh, um, requirements does that take from that team? And, and um, from what we've heard, it's been very little. Um, so they're able to launch new products at, at, with the same type of infrastructure behind the scenes. Um, and I think that's pretty important because they have fairly low uh, marketing expense, um, GNA, and, and uh, most of their line items are pretty uh, um, uh, able to um, scale up or, or the revenue able and bookings able to scale up on top of those over time as they continue to monetize here. Um, the growth of this business, I think, uh, is pretty straightforward. Obviously, more users is obviously number one. That's a pretty uh, easy one. But uh, there's add inventory, as we talked about, that they can move into. Um, today, it's one. And I could easily envision more and more uh, supply coming onto the platform um, as they kind of try to balance like how many users can you get versus um, how much uh, ad inventory you should add. Uh, again, I think of Instagrams and some of the others of how they've been able to slowly over two decades now uh, add more and more uh, ad inventory into these platforms in, in fairly creative ways. Um, so I think that's on the table. Uh, if math, so they, they, they plan to launch a math product this year. Um, I think uh, that is an interesting uh, product. Again, we haven't seen the product. We don't know anything about it. We don't know the success of it. So there's not really much to bake in there. But if you take ABCs, which is now a top 25 uh, uh, app in terms of uh, uh, the age, the app store will break it down into age demographics. So five and under, um, it's a top 25 app there uh, within a year and a half. So that's pretty strong. Uh, they don't monetize that, but again, I think it shows to their ability to create products to then attach people to, um, and then eventually monetize that. I think the English test is pretty interesting. Obviously, they've been able to hold uh, some of their uh, uh, market that they've taken over the last several years. And, and again, they're a product company. They also hired uh, the head of content from PBS. So I don't know where they eventually go with this, but I do think um, they, they do have a lot of characters and content that people engage with. They're one of the number one, uh, they've known recently of being one of the number one um, TikTok accounts. Uh, I think they, uh, again, they just literally just have their their character there and dancing and, and all of a sudden they're kind of, if you go check them out, like the, one of the most followed accounts out there. It's pretty yeah. incredible. Um, so there's that viral, they've spent zero marketing dollars on that. My whole point around this is I, I believe there's 
tons of opportunities for them to continue to build demand for a robust platform of products. And Luis, the CEO, has, has uh, repeatedly talked about multiple years, right? Like this isn't going to be math and it blows up and uh, he wants the math product to build organically and then market against it. Uh, he thinks that's essentially the the best way. And in, in some ways it makes sense is don't market against the product, let the product build, see if it's viral, see if it's a good product and then market against it once you have confirmation. Um, and that's kind of how they've done it the whole time. Um, so you have all these demand drivers I'm trying to talk about, which ultimately when you start to talk about how many there are and and um, whether it's the content with the head of PBS, what does that turn into? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of kids content out there that we've that look, I have a three and a half year old. There's plenty of kid content out there and and um, and Duolingo uh, could easily be one of those uh, in a major way. Uh, the English test and, and some of the other drivers, I think, uh, continue to compound this company at a pretty rapid rate uh, in terms of top line. So you get more users, more um, revenue per user, um, more value in many of these products. They also have a family plan and not to, uh, not in there, they just launched a family plan for the first time. And, uh, we think that'll create a, a little bit more stickiness into the product as two people will be on a, sta- a family plan. You would have to cancel for both people to get off. Um, I think that is a pretty sticky product. He's pretty happy about the potential there. Um, and there's some other things to, to talk about, but uh, I'll stop there. It sounds a little bit like they're trying to build like a match group for education in a sense, uh, just then they like diverse products, but really sort of around one central theme. Um, what are their primary costs? Is it just app store fees? Like, is that sort of the biggest one for them? That's the biggest cost of goods sold. So um, that's predominantly their, their biggest cost. Now remember uh, the app store fees are under pressure. Um, so this year, actually new users, they'll get uh, any new subscribers, they'll actually get an uplift in gross margin. Um, so they've talked about that a little bit. So they will be a, a key beneficiary to any app store changes. Are we at the end of the app store uh, compression story? I don't think so. Um, when does that and what's the barrier of like who gets the benefits and who doesn't? That's still to be determined. But I, I, there, there's probably going to be more pressure on app store fees probably for our lifetime. Um, and, and again, not whether that's right or wrong. Um, but I do think uh, uh, we, we continue to head that direction. So that's the biggest uh, cost of goods sold, uh, which is huge, right? It's like 20, 30% in some cases. Um, now, below that, you have sales and marketing, GNA. GNA is a little bloated because of the IPO. Um, and that'll come down. They've been uh, really light there. Marketing, it's like they really just started thinking about marketing. I mean, I think uh, the number was uh, going up to a couple of years ago, they spent like $14 million in total lifetime um, uh, marketing dollars for the, the inception of the company um, to get to 20, at the time, like 25 million users. Um, so you can get a sense of simply um, how efficient they historically have been. And I, it goes back to the brand and their ability to create like organic demand for their product. Um, that's truly is what's separating them from the others because the other ones are marketing. I mean, I was listening to the radio the other day and Babbel is, is marketing against me. Um, and maybe it's because we're we're just always on uh, Duolingo.com, but it's um, but I do think there's 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 something to speak about uh, their efficiency as it relates to uh, organically driving demand for their their products. And again, around that, when they build the ecosystem of content and some others and other products, uh, you could see a platform here um, that emerges across multiple um, uh, genres of uh, curriculums in, in a sense. Um, so that's really most of the spent the expense that goes into this business. 
Um, so yeah, uh, Ryan, I think we already answered my next question. You want to move on to the next one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's got a, I mean, it's got a few different products like you mentioned. Um, and it seems like they're trying to expand into different offerings. So what do you think of the different, uh, products that they're moving to has the most potential to drive shareholder value in the future? Yeah. So it, it, again, it's, I think the English test and proficiency test and really becoming like the, having that to be the validating kind of um, uh, uh, part of their business where all the schools are accepting this test, which they are in a sense now, uh, but we're at like the early stages of that. I think that just validates the proficiency that's being built on this platform for people learning language. Um, they've had plenty of studies that have shown kind of uh, the, the, Five units are is the same as kind of a a certain amount of semesters in 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 school, uh, so there's validation there in terms of what you learn and how quick you learn it. Uh, it's like a half the rate of what you would learn in in university, half the time. Um, so the the English test is important as a validator of the education they're providing. Um, I then think again, it's moving into these other categories, whether it's math. Um, content. And again, I, I just think building out the platform outside of just uh, language itself, even though that's like the core of what this is, and that has to be the strongest point going forward. I do think uh, there's so much beyond that, that they can continue to uh, move into and use their brand power as uh, a leveraging tool, uh, but also use that as a, a way to drive people to a subscription model where potentially you're getting all of these things throughout all stages, whether it's the kid that's three and a half years old that starts off with ABCs, all of a sudden he needs to learn a language um, as he's in school or use it as kind of like a supplemental uh, type tool. In addition, using math with it as well, because everyone, uh, again, it's a repetitive type of curriculum. Um, and uh, I think as they expand out, they'll have more to offer in a subscription and that'll ultimately drive. So it's all these things that I think uh, are important that um, could potentially unlock uh, significant value. How do they, it seems like they've reached 40 million MAUs pretty quickly. So how are they attracting the users? Is it just like that organic, like the social media presence that you talked about? Is there like any sort of like referral system where, or, or is it just purely like that organic social media? Yeah, it's it's predominantly organic. Again, here's a company that spends 40% of their, their revenue on R&D, um, right? And half of like 2X the amount of sales and marketing dollars. Um, it's crazy. I mean, it's like there is that natural adoption towards the brand and go on Twitter and just type in Duolingo and then scroll down and you'll just see the amount of like satisfaction that's taking place in there. Um, they're also trying to unlock a couple of things. So like they just added recently within the last year, contact sync. Sounds so like easy, but like uh, adding your contacts into your uh, experience because eventually like historically, they didn't have a way to like communicate with your friends in this thing and show that you are uh, doing something. So at like the end of this year, they basically gave you the summary of how every year they give you the summary of how you did the, that prior year. Um, and people are all posting it on social media. Um, and you have people that are highly um, um, uh, into learning languages and, and highlighting how successful they are. And they run different uh, tournaments as well. So again, we're in a, a world of billions uh, of which some there's a, the, the demand is, is forced upon them, meaning they have to learn a certain language to succeed in life and potentially uh, try to succeed further. Uh, and then there's some that um, are learning language for the purpose of 
learning in and they just they're uh, really interested in it. There's also things like they got a huge boost during Netflix's Squid Games um, for people to learn Korean. Um, we all know Netflix is going to continue to do these uh, kind of uh, uh, other language uh, shows and continue to have that and expand that out. The question is, is uh, will that will we see the same effect? But they did see a, a lift in in downloads then uh, they saw their record lift here at the end of the year because uh, again uh, we can see the data where downloads and revenue are at uh, record levels um, so they're seeing some uh, uh, sustainability there so demand is fairly organic uh, that comes to Duolingo I think that's the best way to wrap or kind of summarize um, where these users come from okay let's we should wrap up because he's got to go oh, right. um, from your view what's the biggest risk to Duolingo's business uh, last question to wrap up here. Yeah, it's just, I, I mean, it's always the same almost for every company is like execution around all these things you just talked about. Um, and just ensuring that you're, you're, you execute and, and look, math is going to be an important part of the story. I, I do think uh, they're, so, so we, we go on all the websites of all the schools for like the English test because the English test, uh, again, is an important part of the story, but it's whether uh, these schools continue in five years from now to want the Duolingo test to be it, or uh, is there like political will of some of these uh, legacy players um, that kind of push out uh, Duolingo is a nice to have during the hybrid or the, the virtual environment type deal. Um, but maybe uh, it isn't something as sustainable. Some of the schools that I've, that I see it, there's, they're, they're not fully locked in to um uh, they're they're accepting it for now, and then they have like a date that um, it expires in terms of uh, uh, accepting it, and then they they keep extending them out. So there's some of those schools, and the question is is so how, how many of those uh, begin to accept this forever and don't have kind of this expiration period? Um, again, majority aren't that way, uh, but there are some that are are out there. And again, it takes the importance of that is because it takes. A, a huge network of schools to accept it because when you're going to apply um, for certain schools, just like anything else, uh, you need all the schools that you want to apply to to accept it. Uh, otherwise, why are you going to take the Duolingo test and then have to go take the other one if you really wanted to apply to this school, but uh, they don't accept it, but they accept the other. Um, so that's an important part of the story to track and follow because that could, again, it's, it's an important, like it's 10% of revenue today. Uh, but I think it says a lot more about um, what uh, the kind of uh, uh, demand could eventually be for uh, understanding that this is a platform that is is uh, not only fun and, and gimmicky uh, and motivates you day to day, but it's actually something that uh, teaches you language uh, at a high proficiency. So, Okay, well, that's all the questions we have for any listeners that want to uh, follow you or keep track. What's the best place to do that? Yeah. Twitter is always good. Email is really good um, if you want to do that. But tracking is uh, Twitter. So it's at underscore Sean David, S-E-A-N, David. Um, I almost forgot that for a second. <laughs> but yeah, so Sean David on uh, at Twitter. All right. And you guys are doing an investor day soon. I know it's right around that. Is that what you're calling it? Yeah. So idea day. So uh, uh, January 19th, uh, we are, are doing that. Um, it'll be recorded. So uh, whether, uh, whenever this is heard, but uh, we're basically going to have uh, some of these companies, including the CFO of Duolingo, uh, and he's going to uh, Q and A get our investors and anyone out there to kind of get an understanding of uh, who these companies are, what are they about, and and move on. We'll probably do this twice a year, um, and then maybe next year do it uh, one larger event. Obviously, it's 
this one's going to be two hours. Um, so I don't know if four hours is in the cards. Will that be recorded? Cause I'm realizing this will come out after the investor day. Yeah. yeah it'll be recorded. That's why I said that. I figured. Okay. Um, right. So it'll be yeah, four right, or five so, companies. So yeah. Nice. Anyone that's interested. Yeah. You'll be able to check it out on, I'm assuming it's on Avery and co's website. It'll be everywhere. I mean, uh, YouTube and LinkedIn and Twitter, we're going to go live and then, uh, and then have it re-recorded and then sent out through email or something like that. So, um, Perfect. it's, uh, it's good stuff. All right. All right. That's going to do it. Uh, we want to remind our listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.